Angela Merkel, Germany's no-nonsense chancellor, is stepping down after 16 years. Thank you. And I think let's start. With the German elections just 10 days away, a big change is coming, and not just for Germany. That's why I want to leave this wish with you. Tear down walls of ignorance and narrow-mindedness, for nothing has to stay as it is. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao. It's Thursday, September 16th. Angela Merkel is Germany's first female chancellor and one of the country's longest-serving leaders. People see her as this force of stability. Some even call her the leader of the free world, though I have learned she doesn't like that. So as Merkel prepares to leave office, we wanted to look closer at her life and the complicated legacy that she's leaving behind. Angela Merkel has had an incredible 16 years in power. Young Germans basically don't remember anyone else being chancellor. That's Loveday Morris, Berlin bureau chief for The Washington Post. She has been called the world's most powerful woman, this Joan of Arc figure. Obama's called her one of the most important world leaders. Uh, as I reflect back over the last eight years, uh, I could not ask for a steadier, or more reliable partner on the world stage, often through some very challenging times. So I want to thank you for your friendship, for your leadership, and your commitment to our alliance. Uh, and I want to thank the German people. Especially when we've seen the sort of rise of the populists and when we saw Donald Trump in the US and Viktor Orban in charge in Hungary, where there's seen to be a slide towards autocracy. Merkel was seen as this bastion of liberal democracy. But then she has this quite mixed legacy, really, in Germany. I mean, she isn't a liberal, she's a conservative. Her critics would say that despite being a woman, she hasn't done as much as she could have done for women in Germany. She only very recently came out and called herself a feminist. And in this sense today, I can affirmatively say, I am a feminist. Back then, I was a bit shy when I said that on stage. Today, it's better thought out. That was something that she'd always um, shied away for, even though she'd been held up as a feminist icon, you know, and she does leave behind a very contradictory legacy in some ways. You know, Love Day, when I think of Angela Merkel, I think German Chancellor, arguably the most powerful woman in the world. But I want to take a step back and kind of understand how she became the icon that she is. Can you talk a little bit about her early life, where she grew up, and how she came to be German Chancellor Angela Merkel? Well, she was actually born in West Germany, but moved to the East when she was young, and that's where she grew up. She was the daughter of a pastor and was actually a scientist. And it wasn't really until the Berlin Wall fell that the kind of world of politics opened to her. She gave a speech at Harvard at one point um, where she talked about 
the Berlin Wall being this barrier for her. Die Berliner Mauer begrenzte meine Möglichkeiten. The Berlin Wall limited my opportunities. Sie stand mir buchstäblich im Wege. It quite literally stood in my way. Aber eines, das schaffte diese Mauer in all den Jahren nicht. However, there was one thing which this wall couldn't do during all of those years. Mir meine in eigenen inneren Grenzen vorzugeben. It couldn't impose limits on my inner thoughts. And when it came down, it really opened up a new world and she entered politics and was really the protege of Helmut Kohl, Germany's longtime chancellor, who also served for 16 years. And she progressed really fast in the ranks of the party. She's said that she believes that, that was in part due to Kohl wanting to sort of check boxes. She was a woman from the East, but she really surprised a lot of people. She was known as Cole's girl and was kind of dismissed as as such. But then she became leader of Christian Democrats, which is quite a traditional conservative party in Germany. And there was um, an incident that really caused shockwaves in German politics. As leader of the CDU, she wrote an op-ed in a German newspaper calling for Kohl's resignation over a scandal that had hit the CDU at the time. Kohl later described her as the snake on his arm. So even though Merkel is seen as quite a humble, quiet, almost boring politician at times, she's definitely at points showed that she's a very shrewd politician. So Loveday, during Merkel's 16 years in power... What are some of the dominating events that has colored her leadership? Well, her leadership's been sort of defined by several crises in a way. And she's been a source of steady leadership through them. There was the first in 2009 with the debt crisis. The financial crisis rocked governments around the world. Within weeks, the markets had plummeted to record lows and major financial institutions were on the verge of bankruptcy. That was something that really defines Merkel's career. But in the international arena, Merkel's negotiation skills allowed her to shine. Her ability to achieve breakthroughs on difficult issues won her recognition. She really tightly held the purse strings in Europe. She says she sees that as one of her biggest achievements, saving the euro. But really, you know, it made her uh, incredibly unpopular in southern Europe, where they had to go through a period of huge austerity. Then the migrant crisis, another defining moment when Merkel opened Germany's doors to more than a million refugees and was seen as the moral leader of the world in in many ways at that point. But that also caused its own problems within Europe and Germany. There was a huge backlash. And how did that handling of the Syrian refugee crisis affect what we're seeing happening in Germany today with this rise of the nationalist right-wing movement? That's one of the contradictions that people point out is Merkel has been this force for liberal democracy, but it's also on her watch that we have seen this rise of the 
far right within Germany. It was just a few years after the migrant crisis that the AFD entered the German parliament. It was the first time we've had a far right party in parliament since the First World War. The AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland party, had started off on a Eurosceptic platform, but they really jumped on on the migrant crisis and on the immigration issue and stoked up a lot of fear in German society. So obviously that helped their cause. And then in, in more broadly in Europe, it also caused a lot of division when it, countries within the bloc were very opposed to her decision. But ultimately, I think she'll be remembered for having taken this moral stance at a time where much of the world was looking away. What about the coronavirus pandemic? How has she fared as a leader through that crisis? She was seen as a kind of rational, scientific voice. But again, it's a, as with everything, it's a kind of mixed scorecard. Germany did very well in the early days of the pandemic, but it's also shown some of Germany's inflexibilities in many ways. It's inability to kind of get the vaccination campaign off the ground quickly to act flexibly. And there's been a lot of questioning over that. But essentially, she has been seen as this sort of rocks through various crises that have buffeted uh, Germany and Europe. You mentioned that she is a scientist. My understanding is that that has influenced her priority and focus on climate change. She's known as the climate chancellor. What promises has she made on that front? And has she been successful in that regard? Germany only just really made its 2020 emissions target, and that was partially to do with the pandemic. It is still the world's largest producer of brown coal, which is hugely polluting. Some people say she made a mistake after the Fukushima disaster, ruling out nuclear power, which is obviously a cleaner source of power, but um, has its own controversies in Germany. And at the moment... There isn't enough renewable energy for an industrial country like Germany. So a lot of people will argue there's still a long way to go here. The German elections are on the 26th of this month. How do we expect the legacy that she is leaving to impact how Germans may vote? Well, it's very interesting, actually. We've had a very tight race and her party is really suffering quite dramatically in the polls without her. It's an incredibly open race and nothing is certain. I do think that a lot of Germans, despite Merkel leaving office with pretty high approval ratings, that they are ready for a change and feel like perhaps it's time for a new chancellor, even though Merkel is the first German chancellor really in the modern history of Germany to go of her own volition and um, not be forced to resign or voted out of office. But what it means for Germany, for sure there will be a vacuum both in Germany and on the European stage. I suppose the question for the country now is who is going to fill it and whether that person can continue the stability that Germans have become used to. Love Day Morris is the Berlin bureau chief for The Post. 
Even though the election is at the end of this month, that doesn't necessarily mean that Angela Merkel is going to be leaving right away. Here's how it works. Whoever gets the most votes then has to form a coalition and a new government. And the last time they did this, it took a record 150 days. So we don't actually know for sure when Angela Merkel will leave office. After the break, we'll talk more about her legacy and how the global power dynamics might shift with her departure. We'll be right back. Next week, Germans go to the polls to elect a new government. And for the first time in 16 years, we know that its chancellor, Angela Merkel, will not be coming back to power. That's foreign affairs columnist Isham Theroar. For close to two decades, she has presided over Germany's Christian Democrats. It's a traditional, large center-right party that counts a number of regional allies as well. And... It has been a major force in German politics for decades. The party that she's leaving behind is one that now faces new political headwinds. The same sort of headwinds that we've seen in other democracies in Western Europe, where traditional, nominally centrist political parties are seeing their position of dominance eroded or completely swept away by newer and younger forces. In Germany, we've seen particular rise of the Greens as a kind of counterforce to the traditional center-left and center-right. You've also seen the surge in the last few years of the far-right in Germany, which under Merkel's watch entered the German parliament for the first time in a moment that many commentators found really shocking. And now uh, there's a sense that the Christian Democrats in the coming election may have one of their worst performances in a generation. So Ishan, how will the departure of Angela Merkel and the state that she's leaving the Christian Democrats in, how is that going to play out in the broader sense? How is it going to affect Europe at large and the EU? Well, for more than a decade and a half, she has been a real pillar in German politics, but of course also European politics. For most of that time in power, the governments that she has led have been these really big tent, center-right, center-left coalitions that really were shaped around a kind of consensus-driven politics that came to represent a kind of stability in Germany that that we didn't necessarily see in many other democracies in the West. Now with her leaving, there's a suggestion that some of the, the instincts and political tendencies that were reflected in her era may also fade. For now, as we approach the election, it looks like the Social Democrats, who were, during Merkel's time, always the kind of junior partner to the center-right, they now appear to be in the driver's seat. If their candidate, Olaf Scholz, wins the mandate to try to form a government, he may form a government that may exclude the center-right. And that would be a pretty significant moment. And on top of that, we'll see what kind of coalition government he forms. It, It will probably be with the Greens. It may be a government that represents a degree of continuity with Merkel, and that is how Schultz is positioning himself, uh, because most Germans are pretty happy with the legacy that she leaves behind, one of stability, one of a nation that remains the most important economy in Europe, persevering through various crises, 
But then there are also open questions about how Germany should be dealing with climate change, about how Germany should be dealing with the broader issues of the European Union. And also, of course, how Germany should be positioning itself in the world as we look at the kind of broader geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China and Russia and so on. How will they view her legacy on the global stage? Angela Merkel's rule, in a sense, really defines a kind of phase in world history. She is a product of the immediate aftermath of the end of the Cold War. She uh, came to power as a kind of peak neoliberal in the early aughts, had to steer her country as, and by default a broader European policy through a series of economic crises. And then at a certain point, especially in her latter years, came to define a certain sense of, of liberal values uh, on the world stage, especially when you would juxtapose what she represented and what she championed compared to, say, someone like Donald Trump in the United States. For a number of years now, we've seen the two dominant figures in Europe, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron and Merkel, as kind of the two prominent politicians really leading and thinking about Europe as it tries to chart a new path on the world stage in between the U.S. and powers to the East. What comes next, I think, uh, is a bit of a controversial and open-ended question. What has happened over the past year as we've gone from Trump to Biden and as we now go from Merkel to a new dispensation in Germany is that on both sides of the Atlantic, people are questioning the necessity of a kind of ideological alliance in the West. People are questioning the need to, to frame the world that we live in and the challenges that we face us in these terms of, you know, who's the leader of the free world and so on, and more recognizing that uh, every country has a set of national interests and that in many ways require cooperation and coordination and joint action. But I think there's going to be a, a, a steady de-emphasizing of this kind of moral passion play that has surrounded our politics, especially on the world stage for quite some time. Ishan Theror is a columnist covering foreign affairs for The Post. Today's show was mixed by Lena Mohammed and produced by Jordan Marie Smith and Sabi Robinson. On tomorrow's show, a story about how, for a brief moment, the U.S. came together after 9-11 and why that unity couldn't last. I'm Alexis Diao. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.